Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. Today we're continuing in Genesis. We will get past four words today. Um, Last week we covered in the beginning God. Um, And so uh, if you weren't here last week and you want to know who God is, go listen to that sermon because that's what we focused on last week. So, um, but today we're going to go ahead and cover the rest of Genesis 1. And as I told you last week, if in the next two weeks, um, even last week, if something comes up that sparks questions, are you guys, what about this? Or um, even today as I'm presenting different views, if you feel like I didn't do justice to your view, um, shoot me an email, let me know. Uh, because uh, not next week, but the next, I'm going to do an answers uh, sermon where I will answer any of the questions that you might have that have come up so far. Um, I already got a couple of those from you guys that are pretty good, so I'm looking forward uh, to doing that. So, um, so yeah, as, as we go through things today, if you've got a yeah, but, or a what about this, shoot me that email, and I'll be happy to try to address those, um, not next week, but the next. So, one thing I do want to say before we get in to Genesis 1 is this is an area where um, experience has shown me that people can get very heated um, over this topic, uh, where they can get very, very um, passionate about their views and that their views are right and all other views are wrong. Um, And so I just want to give us all a word of caution as we go into this, um, that we are a grace-filled people, and we need to show that in the way that we approach these things, right? Um, And so even if, like I know as I talk about different views um, today, uh, in our leadership in our church, we have people with different views, and I think that's a good thing. I think that's a healthy thing. Um, I will cover some of these different views and I'll tell you, tell you where I'm at on it. Um, but that doesn't mean that I can't learn from somebody else, um, that maybe has a different view, um, where maybe I can be stretched in my understanding of scripture, uh, by someone else's view. And so, uh, so I just give us that word of caution where let's approach these things with grace. Um, let's not be dogmatic on these things. Let's not be argumentative, um, about these things, um, and actually, I just read a book. Um, it was four different views of uh, relating to creation. All four authors are believers in Jesus Christ who believe the word of God to be true and have four totally different views on how God created everything, right? Um, and I'll, I learned a lot by hearing them in their own words say, this is my view and here, here's how I see it match up with scripture, or here's how I, I see it from science. Here's how I see it uh, relating to the world and what we observe around us. And so, so I just say all that to say, we all need to be learners here, okay? But to start with, let's jump in and read Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. 
And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, or you could translate that as sky. And there was, there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God said that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day and the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts on the earth according to their kinds and it was so and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind and God saw that it was good then God said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. 
And so this is the Genesis account of what God did. Of how God created everything. And this is the account that the reason it gets so much scrutiny and so many different views, and I think there's probably almost as many views on this as there are people who read and think about it. But it gets so many, many views for the obvious reason. Because it is saying this is how God did it. And then the scientists of our day look at the world around them and they're looking at that world and they, they're saying this is how it happened. And the two usually seem to be in contradiction to each other. By the conclusions that many scientists make about how the earth was formed or how uh, life got here and that kind of thing uh, seems in many cases to be in contradiction to what Genesis says. Um, and so... There have been many, many very intelligent Christians who have wrestled with these things. Many, many very intelligent Christians in the field of science who have wrestled with these things. Um, the church that I, I came from before being here uh, was full of rocket scientists. Like, literally. Um, like, my first day at the church... Uh, they had me stay at an older couple's house, and he was a retired guy. And uh, he started explaining to me how he had worked on the Challenger project and how he had warned them that the rubber they were using for that O-ring wasn't good enough. I was like, what? <laughs> wait, wait, you warned them that was going to happen? Um, and, yeah. And so, anyway, I'm used to being with very devoted followers of Christ, who are also very engaged in the fields of science. And so these two things do not have to be in contradiction to each other. Uh, so many times when it comes to this topic, I feel like as Christians, we feel like, oh, well, maybe we just need to separate the two, right? Like, we, we can have, here's what the Bible side, and then over here's the science side, and I don't, I don't know how the two mix. Um, and that's kind of honestly the first um, first view I want us to cover, um, and that's the, the separationist view is what I'm going to call it. Um, but this view basically just says, this is theology. It is not science. And so there's no problem if the two don't intermix. Um, so I can kind of just in my mind say, this is the Bible part, and then this is the science part. And I'm just going to separate the two out. And some people are very happy doing that. Um, the problem with this view and why I see it as dangerous is, is basically what this is saying in Genesis 1 is this is who God is and this is what he has done. And we, when we say we're separating that from what we say that, that science might say of how the world got here, when we're, we're causing that separation, what we're left with is when we start talking to other people about that, basically they're left to make the conclusion for themselves that, oh, well, if this is who God says he is and what he's done, but that's not what he's done, then he's a liar. And that's a very dangerous place for us to go, to make God out to be a liar. And so I don't think we want to go there. Um, there's also the, I didn't put this on the, the list. We do have a, a list of these views. Um, but there's the neglect view. 
where it's just like, I don't want to think about it, right? Like this, my life is better if I do not think about this, if I do not engage this. Um, and if that's where you are, blessings on you. Um, the next, uh, this is a theory that's been proposed is the gap theory, okay? And so what the gap theory is, is it comes to Genesis 1, and it says that there's a gap in time, okay? Uh, in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-3. And that this was, in this gap in time, uh, there was another creation, basically, uh, that for whatever reason was destroyed. Um, And it's the results of that creation uh, that we can still see today um, in archaeology and those kind of things, okay? Um, And uh, and so where this falls in, let's see if we can see this in, in Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Gap. The earth, and then the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then he goes into to day one of creating light. Okay? Um, and so the gap theory says in that period, there's a whole lot that happened that we don't know about, um, which is very intriguing. Uh, many bright minds have put a lot of thought into this and have really developed some very extensive theories that uh, really extrapolate out from it. Uh, my main problem with it is it's basically an argument from silence. Um, it's basically an argument say, that's not there. Um, it's just a way of, of trying to fit things in. It seems like to me that I don't think necessarily is what Scripture is saying. Could have happened that way. It doesn't say it didn't happen. But I don't see that it says that it did. Okay, another, another theory is the day-age theory. Okay, so where, um, and some of you probably hold to this, uh, where, where it talks about the days of creation, um, this view says that those days were not a literal 24-hour period of time. Okay? Uh, so um, in like our normal vernacular, um, like if I were to say, well, back in my grandfather's day, what does that mean? In his time period, right? Um, and so, so with that, uh, this, this view would hold that God created things over a very, very long period of time, uh, much like what we see in the fossil record and that kind of thing. Um, and they all try to match up the fossil record with these long periods of time um, over which they say that God created everything. Um, still trying to hold to the rough framework of what Genesis 1 is saying as far as the order of, of things happening. Um, but they just say it wasn't a 24-hour period. They say it was much, much longer. I personally don't hold to this view um, because each of the days listed here um, say morning and evening. There's evening and morning. Like, that's 24 hours to me. Um, and so, uh, so that's why I don't hold to this view, but I know very many very devoted followers of Christ who do, and I respect them highly. So um, the next view, theistic evolution, the theistic evolution theory. Um, Basically what this theory says, and and those who hold to this say, is they basically say that what we see the scientists saying of through evolution is all correct. Um, And 
that uh, God was just there guiding it along as it happened. So he was kind of like just, just the, the buddy along, along the side as, um, as the evolution was happening. Um, and all these views, I'm giving you a very simplistic explanation, okay? So once again, if I'm misrepresenting your view, don't be offended. Um, but yeah, and so evolution's happening, God's alongside it. Uh, you ask them, well, what about Genesis 1? Their answer to that is we need to go uh, to the context for which it was written, okay? Um, so what, when and why was Genesis 1 written? Uh, almost everybody gives credit to the book of Genesis um, as far as the human author being Moses, um, that he wrote the Pentateuch, um, the first five books of the Bible. And he did so after leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Um, and so with that, what do you have? You have one basically educated guy that grew up in Pharaoh's household. So he was the guy that knew how to read and write. And you had a nation of slaves with no education, right? Um, and so they, this view would say that Moses, when he wrote this down, what he was writing down was just a way for those uneducated people to be able to understand that, that God was there, that God was behind it all, um, that he was in it. Um, and so, uh, so that's really what this is about. Uh, that this is about just that kind of, of thing where, where Moses was just trying to relate to people on terms that they would understand. Um, several of the kind of views that are in Genesis 1 uh, were similarly held by cultures around them. Um, and, so, uh, and so, yeah, that was the, the point uh, was Moses was doing that, okay? Uh, my point on that view is, once again if we believe in, yes, the human authorship and the divine authorship of Scripture, um, that Moses was carried along by the Holy Spirit and guided in the words to say that if the Holy Spirit guided Moses to write these words and this is not what happened, then that once again makes God out to be a liar, um, which is, again, a very dangerous place for us to go. Um, another view that is sometimes tied in with that same group is they'll approach this as poetry. Um, and so they'll say, hey, uh, you know, it's just one of those poetic parts of the Bible. It's not descriptive. It's not historical. Um, it's just poetry, right? Um, and so when it's poetry, we understand and we interpret those things differently, right? Which is correct biblical hermeneutics, okay? So um, let's go to uh, Song of Solomon, Okay, so this is some good poetry for you. Anybody had your devotions in Song of Solomon lately? Anybody read it to your wife lately? Um, so Song of Solomon, in chapter 4, Solomon is courting his bride, and he's using these words. And I don't think I put this on the screen. Sorry, guys. So if you have real Bibles or devices, you can look it up for yourself. But Song of Solomon, chapter 4, says this. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins. 
Not one among them has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields and all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadow flees, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. But you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Now, I know they say that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> but if we take a very literal approach to what is written here, we have a, an artistic depiction of what this woman looked like. If we can, Ben, do we have that on the screen? Can we throw that up there? All right, so you see her tower of a neck and the goats flocking as her hair and uh, the sheep and the doves in her eyes. Like, man, she is a looker, right? Um, no. And the woman that was the recipient of that when Solomon wrote it didn't think this was what he was saying, right? None of us do. Because it's poetry, it's poetic, he's using figurative language, he's using similes, metaphors, all of these kind of things to, to paint this beautiful picture to woo his bride, right? And we know it is that way because of the way that it's written, right? But Genesis 1, we don't have any of that kind of language, we don't have poetic language. We don't have, it's not written in that way. In fact, it's written as if it is a historical narrative saying, this is what's happened. Much like uh, the gospels themselves. So when it, we come to the writings about this is what Jesus did, this is what Jesus said, this is what he taught, we can believe that to be true because it's historical narrative. It's historically accurate depiction. It's eyewitness testimony. What we have in Genesis 1 is the eyewitness testimony, I believe, of the only one who was there and saw it all, who was God himself. And so the eyewitness testimony of God himself says this is what happened. This is how it all came to be. So I don't hold to the poetry view, even though I do like the Song of Solomon and his beautiful bride. Um, next, uh, a, a term that comes up a lot in this kind of discussion is the term intelligent design. Um, and this is kind of a catch-all term. Um, and their argument basically says, we don't really care about Genesis 1. Uh, we don't really care about the Bible. Uh, we don't, if, if you do, that's great. You can fit under our camp and under our tent if you do. Um, but all we're saying is, as a scientist, I've looked at the science, and it tells me there's a, an intelligent being behind it. That it didn't happen by chance, that it's not all random, that it's, it wasn't all just something that somehow came together. That no, I've looked at the science, and the science tells me there's something else there. 
Um, so I find the intelligent design view really good as kind of a first step for somebody coming um, towards faith, somebody coming towards scripture. Um, but it's not the end all that we could make it out to be. All right. Finally, the literal view. Um, some, most would probably call this more young earth creationist view. Um, and I'm not get, really getting into the age of the earth so much today. Uh, but this is the, basically the view that takes Genesis 1 pretty literally and says, yeah, there were six days. Before those six days, there was nothing. After those six days, there was everything. Right? Um, and so this, this view um, is probably where I find myself just because I trust God's word and I hold it to be true. And I really think this is what it's saying when you just read it on its own. Um, and so that's where, where I find myself. Um, but there are objections to this view that are worth noting. All right. Um, first off, can we really be so arrogant as to believe that we know this to be the case um, and that all these other views are wrong um, and that uh, the majority of uh, professional scientists in the world today are wrong? Can we really be that arrogant? I think um, if... If we are going to hold this view, then we probably need to hold some grace and humility um, around it as well. Um, there's also some good challenges for this view that come from next week's passage. So in, in Genesis 2, we're going to look at basically another side of what was happening at this same time. And we're going to look at Adam um, and Eve and their creation and, uh, and Adam naming all of the animals um, and so uh, the objection to basically the view I hold is, well, how could Adam name every animal on the planet uh, and then have major surgery and God create Eve and all of that happen in 24 hours? Um, which is a valid concern. And if you want to hear the answer to that, come back next week. Um, but yeah, and there are others. There are other good, logical, even biblical challenges uh, to a literal view of, uh, of Genesis 1. So now, my point in all that is to say that there are all these different views and interpretations of this passage. Um, I personally believe that God spoke it, and there it was. And God is that big, he's that powerful, and he says it, and then it's there. Right? Like that's, that's just how I believe it happened. Um, now, and I know that others who hold to these other views of the day age or even the theistic evolution, um, just by them holding that view does not mean that they do not believe that God is that powerful. Okay? Um, sometimes I feel like they get mischaracterized that way um, and saying, oh, well, you, just, you don't have faith enough or believe enough that God could do it the way that it says that he did it. Um, which I don't think is a fair characterization of them. So, um, but yeah, that's where I am on this. Now, with all of that said, what can we get out of Genesis 1 that no matter what view of interpretation on what a day means or any of that, what can we get out of this that all of us can, can agree on and take to the bank? First, God created everything out of nothing. God created everything out of nothing. This is an orthodox Christian belief 
um, that whatever your viewpoint is, I encourage you, make sure this is part of it. Because that's who God is. He created everything out of nothing. Second, everything that God created was good. It was all good. Each day as he went through, he said, it's good. It's good. It's good. Next week, we'll get to the one thing that wasn't good. It wasn't good for man to be alone. But everything else, it was good. It was good. Dave, was that a, was that a testimony back there? It's not, not good for man to be alone? Yeah, all right. Number three, we see, I told you last week, I said there, there's this theory that every major theological view in the Bible is, pre- is first presented in the book of Genesis. Here's, here's one of them. God is the Godhead. We see the Trinity right here. We see the Trinity right here in Genesis. Did you see it? Then God said, let us make man in our image. Plural. Skip down. So God created man in his own image. Singular. God is three in one. And that's how we can, we can see that God was the one creating this, that he was the one behind this. For him to make us in his image means that he made us in the image of the triune Godhead. So as he's discussing with himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, he said, hey, here's what we should do. Let's make man in our image. And then the dictation of what happened is we were made in his image. So again, there's the three in one. Uh, John picks up on this in, in John chapter 1. And in John chapter 1, it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And skip it down to 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. His glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John's saying, yes, Jesus, the one I've seen, the one I've touched, the one I've lived with, the one I've witnessed, everything he said and did, the one that I've been with, he was there at the beginning. He was the word, and through him it was all created. John goes on and he starts his book with that. And, and as we looked at the book of John, what was the point? So that you may believe. And he builds the case throughout the whole book leading up to the end of Jesus dying on the cross, paying the punishment for sins so that we could be made right with God. And so I encourage you today that even if we're talking about Genesis and how God created everything, to look to the one who's going to recreate everything who's going to make everything right in the end. The one who can restore your soul, the one who can make you right with your creator. Look to Jesus, because he paid the price for our sins on the cross. But the great thing about Genesis 1 is there's no sin yet, and it's still all very, very good. Another thing we can see in Genesis 1 is number four, God's creation was ordered and organized it wasn't some haphazard kind of thing. Okay, so uh, if you ever struggle with remembering the days and what happened when, maybe this will help you. Okay, first day, 
light and dark. Light separated from dark. Second day, sea and sky. Third day, land and plants. And then the, the next three days all correspond to the first three days. So light and dark came first, and then on the fourth day, sun, moon, and stars. Sea and sky, fish and birds. Land and plants, land animals and humans. All right? And, uh, and this is uh, one thing that was pointed out to me uh, by a missionary who works with uh, an illiterate people group, um, so a people group that can't read and write. Um, he said, when you're in an oral tradition like that, these kind of pneumatic devices are very helpful in memory. Um, and so even in God creating in this way, and even in, in the way that Moses wrote it down for the Israelites, he gave them these kind of pneumatic ways where you can just remember, like, oh, the connections, right? So light and dark, sea and sky, land and plants, sun, moon, and stars, fish and birds, then land animals and humans. And so, next, mankind is distinguished among creation for being made in God's image. Uh, we are separate. We are different. Whatever your view of how all of this happened, you have to get to a point where we are different from the animals, right? Um, you can't, uh, from a Christian standpoint, just hold to, we came down a family tree alongside the chimpanzees and the apes, and we got to us, okay? Um, at some point, some change happened in which God said, they are in my image. They are made like me. And then sixth and finally, man is supposed to rule over the rest of creation, and all of creation is supposed to multiply and fill the earth. Procreation was part of the design from the beginning. All right? So that God's instructions to all of them was fill the earth. Fill the earth. I gave you this whole planet. I made this whole globe. I made the whole solar system. I made the whole universe that all makes it where life is possible on this place. Fill it up. That's who God is and what he has done. So hopefully... On those six points, we can agree. Maybe we not, might not agree on exact times or links or when it happened, but we can agree that God did it. God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the good creator. I thank you that you have given us your word that lays these things out for us, that shows us um, the fact that you made these things. And God, it is such a, a beautiful, amazing earth that we get to live in. And I thank you for that. Um, I thank you for uh, just, a, I heard several people mention just the sunrise yesterday and how beautiful it was. Coming up over the beautiful mountains and lake that we get to live around. And I just know that this place screams the fact that you created it and that you are good and that what you made is good. And so, Lord, we thank you for that goodness and we thank you for your faithfulness to us. And God, we just want to bring praise and glory back to you today as our creator, for you are worthy. 
I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel yourself.